previously on The Outsider. Someone was here last night. Jeannie drew that. She just had a bad dream. Dreams are messages, bro. Manager of the strip club, Claude Bolton. You sent me a mugshot? I snuck into Heath Hofstetter's house yesterday. Someone put clean sheets on the box springs. Put down the gun! Go take a look at this. What the hell did that? You sent me a mugshot? I've been having some personal problems. All I'm asking for here is an opportunity. What is happening to me? Holly wants me to go to the cemetery where Terry's buried. That's the barn where they found Maitland's clothes. You need to tell me what this is about, Holly. It would be better if I told you in person. I think you should drop the investigation. Something very bad is going to happen. I'm just trying to get to the bottom of it. Hello, and welcome to an all-new episode Hello, and welcome to an all-new episode of Talking the Outsider. I am one of your hosts, Kente, all the way live from Los Angeles, California, and I'm so happy to be here with you guys today. Uh, And I'm joined by my one and only beautiful co-host, Jen. Hey, how's it going? I'm doing great, Jen. Awesome. Very awesome. Kind of excited to talk about this episode where everybody confronts the impossible Yes, yes, yes. I'm I'm really excited to talk about it. It's uh, it was uh, definitely one of my favorite ones, and uh, uh, one that I think moves the the story along pretty pr- a lot, <laughs> quite a bit. You know, uh, it, uh-huh. in, interestingly enough, I think uh, the show actually does a really a much better job um, with this than the book did. So, hats off to the writers on this because the adaptation really gave it a little something that the book felt like it was kind of missing. Yeah, I agree. I definitely agree with that. Um, I I really feel like they put, they filled in a lot of holes that was in the book. And uh, I'm very, very happy to talk about this episode. Um, I think a good place to start off is the bus scene and uh, what it represents. Uh, I, I want you to kind of go into that and I'll piggyback off you. <clears throat> well, um, okay. So the, the the bus scene is to me the bus scene was actually kind of disturbing because I feel like it's the first time that our entity El Cuco uh, is sort of injecting itself into Holly uh, Gibney's experience it, s- sphere, if you will. Like you know, before this, she's been able to sort of objectively look at everything and see it for what it is. And here in the bus scene, all of a sudden there is some kind of very clear connection that it seems to try to be making with her or that she is experiencing. And uh, she ends up, she ends up seeing things that may or may not be there. I, you know, I think that they left it rather ambiguous and almost crashes the bus that she's on putting, you know, everybody in danger. What's interesting to me about the way that they did that was it really explains why she can't just dismiss this at this point. Um, It gives a, a concrete connection between what she believes is going on and maybe even if she had some lingering doubts, they are 
erased after this. It is very obvious to her that something very supernatural is going on. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, the bus scene was definitely, de- to me, it was kind of a departure of what kind of we thought the rules were, or maybe we don't, you know, maybe we're being presumptuous to think we know what the rules are, what is, what can be done, what can't be done with this outsider, El uh, Cuco. Um, it was really, uh, it was interesting. Like, uh, I wonder, you know, was that something, a manifestation of her, her thoughts? Was it something that was actually happening? We really don't know. So it's a, uh, this is interesting to see how this will actually play out as it relates to the episodes going well, forward. You know, per- perhaps if I could just inject a tiny bit more, the thing that makes this so incredibly intrusive is that up to this point, we know that our El Cuco has had to have some kind of, uh, absolute contact with its victims in order to manifest in any way, in any meaningful way, at least. And so I'm left with two thoughts, right? One thought is that Holly is such an incredible conduit for kind of outside energy that she is able to pick up on, that she somehow picks up uh, something from El Cuco and that perhaps it it's kind of like, you know, if you stare into the abyss long enough, the abyss stares back. Right. That kind of thinking. But then I'm also, you know, there was also another moment in the episode where I actually thought, well, maybe this isn't what we think it is. Maybe what it is, is that Holly has sort of, um, she stared the beast in the face and now she has a better idea of what this might be. And all of this was just sort of her manifestation of what she thought El Cuco was or would try to do. And somehow at this at this point, although, you know, in, in retrospect, it kind of doesn't make sense just because by the time that we're done with the episode, it doesn't feel like that. It's such a valid point to think that it just came from inside of her head it feels a lot more like there is something external happening. Yeah. And, you know, once again, going to the themes of belief and how these people's beliefs affect the way that the events happen. I think that this is something that uh, we got to keep an eye on going forward as it, as it goes to the, uh, the topic of this podcast or, you know, these right. episodes. Okay. So uh, let's talk about, Jack Hoskins picking up Holly at the uh, bus terminal. And uh, I believe that we're to believe that he's on a mission from El Cuco um, solely. But, you know, I get the feeling that a lot of it was his own, what he wants to know for himself. I don't believe it was all for El Cuco. What do you think? Well, I think um, there's two pieces to this that sort of stuck out to me. One is that Jack Hoskins, uh, obviously, yes, he really is being directed by El Cuco, but it is very clear to me at this point that Jack Hoskins has enough of his own self left that he is acting sort of of his own volition. And I think that part of that intrigue, part of that uh, deep curiosity about, well, what does Holly know is not for El Cuco. It's reconnaissance for him because he's trying to understand what is this thing and how does it have such a hold over me? I I think we should think of Jack less as an actual puppet 
and more of a, um, at, at this point, much more of a, I'm unwilling, but I am also, I recognize how much pain it costs me to uh, not go with the program, basically. And I don't want that to happen. So is there something that I can do to fix this? And I, some, in some ways, I feel like he thinks that Holly may be the grail of information for him. Right. He's fishing for information. She's not giving it up. I didn't. Yeah. So are we are we to believe that she was suspicious of his motives or she's just naturally that's who she are, who she is? Yeah, I don't think that she was suspicious at that moment. I think I think that that her the way that she was looking at the dissemination of information was very much from a I need everybody together because if I start the explaining way that she's this in piecemeal, it's never going to make sense to any one person. Like and in some ways that actually makes a lot of sense. You know, you can't tell one person one thing and then have them discuss it with another and especially not something so fantastic. Yeah, that was something that she did say in her meeting. And she kind of gives her this look. And then when she makes the comment that you look, you know, you look jacked up, you look like someone's snatched your heart. And then he mm. gives the speech about his uh, ex-wife. And then he has this really this interesting smile on his face when he says it. I thought it was a very well done scene. Yeah, it was. There was a there was a lot of emotion conveyed with very little actual dialogue, but there was so much depth to it. Yeah. What do you think about the the bathroom scene with him once again being tortured by El Cuco? I, you know, I got to tell you, these are some of the hardest scenes to watch. Um, first of all, just it, and again, you know, another hats off to this actor. Um, the the guy who plays Jack is actually really very talented. There is there's a torment attached to every scene where he is experiencing a connection or a communication with El Cuco. And it's, and it's not just pain. It's, you can really feel that there is a visceral torment about something invading his mind that is so unwelcome and so un, um, uh, unfamiliar. Like, you know, it's just so out of the ordinary. It's so wrong. And I think it has to do with the fact that Jack is such a guy of control right? He is such a man of everything that I do, I have control of, you know, I have a plan for everything. And in this case, not only doesn't he have a plan for it, but he has no control over it. So I think it must be three times as difficult for him to deal with this as anybody else. Not that it wouldn't be that difficult for anybody else, but just for him in particular, that's really hard. And Every time he has to have a communication with El Cuco or every time El Cuco wants to communicate with him, even if it's just with blood on the wall, it, it is so, I think, disconcerting to him because maybe this is what made him a good cop. Maybe this is what made him be a cop in the first place, but he just exerts such a, uh, a tight control over everything else that it seems like this in particular is really hard for him. Yeah. Okay, so let's get to the actual uh, meeting or the debriefing or whatnot. And, you know, during the course of this podcast, we're going to be talking about uh, this TV series as it relates to the novel written by Stephen King. And I think this is a good juxtapose between the, the way that this scene plays out in the novel versus how it plays out on the TV show. I really believe that uh, I would say that on the TV show, 
the way that things play out makes a lot more sense. And I think it's better the way that they the way they did it. There's one glaring difference uh, from the novel. Uh, I mean, there's many gl- difference, but one is that uh, when Holly isn't the only in the novel, isn't the only person that makes a presentation. Uh, Yoon Sablo does as well. And then also when she does start her her talk. She does it by show, sharing a video, or uh, or a I believe it was a VHS of a Luchadora uh, Spanish movie that was about you know El Cuco, and right. they do they go into great detail to, to describe this film that they're watching, which is very interesting, and it it it, it really follows what has been going on in this story, and I kind of wanted that to be on the show. Because I think it's a, a, a cool moment, you know. Right. But, uh, you know, I understand why they didn't do it. It, it, it is kind of silly as well, too, when you think about it in retrospect. But, uh, but okay, so that's different. And I believe in the novel, the reactions of the people that were there weren't as divided. It seems like, if I could recall that they were kind of going with because they, they had already in their in their own mind had kind of gotten there that it was something supernatural a lot of them had at least right right so and and it the, wasn't that the, big of a stretch the way that they pivoted this which was um you know both an interesting writing choice but also it 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 this is one of the glaring things in this episode that sort of didn't sit quite right with me. Although I think I understand why they did it as a plot choice. I don't know if this was the correct plot choice to make. Uh, um, Howie invited glory to be there. Right. And, and, and unfortunately what that did was it set up uh, sort of an invitation for the great doubting Thomas to be there. And you can understand why, right? I mean, her husband's been killed and, he was not killed by the boogeyman. He was killed by a gun. And for her, the death of her husband, I think is a little bit more tied up in something else. It's not exactly tied up with clearing his name. I don't think it's as tied up with clearing his name as we would like to believe he's dead. And I think that for glory, things are so much more visceral in terms of that, that, Although clearing his name is, of course, important. I can't, I just have a really hard time in, in, in any stretch thinking that your lawyer would ask you to come to a presentation that you didn't even know what was going to be presented and that somehow that was going to help whatever was going. Like, I just can't imagine. I can't imagine a lawyer not just wanting to debrief their client later. But what it did in the scene was it gave us our doubting Thomas. And it also allowed, I think, for some of the group to say, oh, yeah, that's ridiculous. You know, you're telling me that the boogeyman is basically out there and that that's what this is all about. And how, you know, how could you possibly be spending all of your time doing or looking at it this way? And it made sense because she would be the one who would say, yeah, this is ridiculous. Right. Right. Do, Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, no, definitely. And I, you know, I agree with the responses. It, it made a lot more sense. And it also had Ralph, who is the extreme as far as not believing or wanting to believe as well, mm-hmm. too, you know, 
So I, I, I really, I like the way that it played out better on the show, but I do agree. Why would they have her there? It didn't make sense. You, you would want the information, then you want to relay the information to your client. <clears throat> it almost felt like they should have had Ralph be Glory. It almost felt like they should have had Ralph be the one to stand up and say, are you kidding me? Right. This is what we have been spending all of our money and time on because Ralph is the one in the show that has the most resistance to this being anything that he cannot prove uh, as a cop with evidence. You know, I mean, he even goes so far as to say so later, you know, look, I, I want to solve this, but I want to do it with evidence with, you know, cop stuff. Right. Silly old cop stuff. Yes. Silly old cop stuff. So the, the name of this episode is the one about the Yiddish vampire. And uh, I, I love that title. It's a great title. And I love the scene that it's based on. So I'm, I'm going to play a, that clip. All right. Yep. And over the centuries, you know, people got called devils and demons. They got called witches, the werewolf of this, the vampire of that. And we always say, well, people back then, they were ignorant and hysterical and superstitious. Nowadays, we've got science and psychology. So we know better than to mistake humans for demons. You know, but what if... What if every now and then we mistake a demon for a human? Very interesting. I think so. Did you ever hear the one about the Yiddish vampire? Vampire flies in through the window of a church, bangs her out. Priest immediately goes for a crucifix, shoves it in his face. Back, you fiend. Vampire laughs, says, It ain't gonna help you, baby. <laughs> I love that. I love that scene. Ah, <laughs> uh, man. What a great way to kind of button up that you know instead of going into how he doesn't believe and all of this stuff then he tells that story i, I think that that's a, a I, I love that scene and it's that's so, definitely not in the novel <laughs> so um you know one thing that i really would like to bring up at this point um because i feel like this is sort of what makes a stephen king story uh strong in some ways and specifically what makes the stephen king story pretty strong our disbelief of things outside of what we can uh, sort of scientifically prove or factually understand prevents us sometimes from getting information that maybe might even be useful in order to dispel even the very myth that we are sort of thinking about. So there's a little bit of meta context going on here where the El Cuco as a being relies on the ability of people to both believe and disbelieve at the same time. Believe that something is happening, you know, the direct connection, you know, the rash on the back that shows that there is something happening and disbelieve where everybody else in the community will completely turn away and say, it is impossible that you were not the person who did this because I saw you here. 
uh, this happened, this happened, all things that can sort of factually be backed up. And in, in, in this case, even DNA evidence. And so the, the Stephen King sort of awesome uh, plot development that he makes in a lot of his supernatural um, stories really revolves around people being so stuck in their own thinking, in their own paths, that they totally miss the obvious. And Holly, in this case, has sort of uncovered the obvious, brought it to their attention, and yet everybody says, no, that can't be. And if you look back over a lot of Stephen King's stories, you'll find a really similar theme. But this story just, it, like I said, there's almost like this meta context in it where it sort of is calling attention to the thing that it was calling attention to. And it works really beautifully. And that scene is also another sort of epic demonstration of that. Yeah, and... Uh... And it was a big buildup to it, too, because like, they really did a good job in the episode before making you go, oh, man, I can't wait for, you know, this scene. And uh, I, I believe it lived up to its billing. It did. It, it definitely did. Yeah. Now, another scene which is ripped from the, the book and it's uh, and it's in the TV show as well is a little bit later, you have Holly going to stay at the Anderson home and you know, Jenny Anderson tells her that she got a visit from somebody in the middle of the night, possibly there, possibly wasn't there. And they shine this, uh, this blue light, much like you see in forensic shows and stuff like that. Uh, it's homemade, uh, made from, uh, coloring, uh, what is it? Scotch tape. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I believe she did two blues and a red to get the, the, the light. And, when they turn the lights off and shine the light, they find some, I don't want to say DNA, but uh, they find some... Uh, some Secretions. Right. And <clears throat> they believe it's from a projection of The Outsider. And, you know, it's very well written in the novel. And it, translate, now, it translates very well on the show. Now, see, this is, I mean, you know, not, not to always sort of point out the undertext, but this is a case where something is hiding in the light. Like, it's there, and we just don't see it, not because we don't are not looking for it, not because Ralph Anderson isn't a good investigator, but because we see in the light. And the outsider does not work in, the outsider works outside of those parameters. I, I actually thought that it was pretty genius, both in the book and in the series. They did it really well. Yeah. And it was just a good visual moment, you know? All right. So uh, the next scene that we need to talk about is, uh, you know what? We'll, uh, actually, we're going to go to Ralph Anderson gets a call from uh, Glory Maitland, and he goes to visit her. And this is the first time in which she expresses that she's not quite sure if her husband was guilty or not. Cause she says, she says, in fact, it shouldn't be this hard to prove his right. innocence. Now I can't remember if she had that moment in the book. Uh, you're going to have, if you can re- remember, uh, you know, I actually don't remember if she had a moment like that in the book either, I but I do, but I remember 
being skeptical or feeling like some characters were skeptical about things that I thought were not. So maybe she was, I, I honestly don't remember. Yeah. So, so that was a good, that was a good scene too. And the cool thing about it is now you have Ralph saying, I, I don't believe he did it. Like I, you know, so he's now telling her, right. Don't they pivot it. Right. So that, which is a, which was works very well. And to be honest with you, I can totally see how she could lose her faith, you know, because we're talking, you know, we're sitting here saying, well, duh, of course it's El Cuco. But to be honest with you, if something like that was going on, we wouldn't believe it was in some El Cuco, some, you know, we'd be like, you cuckoo. It's my kid actually brought this up uh, during, or I can't remember whether it was this episode or the one that's coming up, but my kid actually said very specifically, um, that this is a little bit like, you know, if, if somebody was not feeling good and you researched all the clues and you said, oh my God, every night you're being fed on by a vampire, of course you wouldn't believe it. Even if the signs were pointing right there, you know, oh, there's two marks on your neck. Well, that was probably a bug bite or like uh, it, you can totally understand why people are going to great lengths not to, to, not that it's that they don't want to believe, but to try to explain rationally what's happening. And, you know, to that end, it makes a really good juxtaposition that they have pivoted because Ralph is the one who is so mired in everything being evidentiary. Ralph is the one who, if it's not fact, it's not there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and what a great pivot. And, you know, it's weighing on him. You know, he's seeing his dead son. He's having these doubts. And, and although the, all the evidence are pointing towards a certain direction, it totally makes sense why he would feel the way he did. Because I know there's, in the fan cr- community, there's people that's criticizing him. I'm like, come on, you totally would be him. <laughs> you know, you would totally be right. him. So, yeah. Okay, so the next scene uh, that I want to get to is Jack Hoskins being visited by his dead mama who kicks his ass oh, wow. uh, you know that's not in the novel and no. and uh it was a kind of a silly scene you know like the it, the vibe was kind of felt silly you know the mama just jumping on him and beating him up and you know beating him around there but uh it, i guess it, it was a very effective effective scene because it pushed the next events forward so uh before we get to what happened next uh what did you think about old mama beating him up well i mean you know i'm the one who always sees everything as metaphor and you know pulls analogies from here and there but this definitely felt very uh very much like a metaphor and it but it also you know from a physical standpoint he left bloody prints all over the place i mean something clearly is happening to him that's not just made up it's not just you know his conscience trying to bleed out or something something very phenomenally physical is happening to Jack at this point and why he imagines it at his as his mom is I guess open and a little bit maybe subjective if that's the thing that has scared him the most growing up uh wow uh, you kind of have a a big so I kind of feel really bad for him. Yeah. Well, yeah, he does make references to it. So, yeah. 
Uh, all right. So to wrap this uh, episode up, it has like a, this great scene where, and it's not from the novel, where Jack Hoskins tells Holly the next morning af- after he puts on makeup to cover his bruises that his mother, dead mother, right. le- left. And uh, he conv- he tells her that I, I want to show you something in that barn. And that don't tell them because they treated you badly. And, you know, I want to show it to you. And so they meet up. But Holly decides to rent a car. And she has him get in the car with her. And uh, it sets up this, you know, um, what's going to happen next. And there's a scene where she used some trickery to get him to bend over to to see the, uh, I mean, to um, reach down and pick something up in the passenger side of the car. And that's when right. she sees the markings on the back of his neck. And she knows that, you know, that uh, she's in trouble. I was waiting to, for the uh, cruise ship to go by. Uh, oh. <laughs> sorry. That, that's, no, no, it's Hawaii, good. everybody. No, no, it's all good. Uh, that something's a foot or something's a neck. So something's uh, a neck. <laughs> <laughs> so, dun, dun, dun. so we'll, obviously we're going to get deeper into that in the next episode. But uh, so that we'll we'll wrap this up and move on. So I want to go to you, Jen. How can we get you in social media and all that good stuff? Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at following bliss one. You can also check out my websites at moviesmakethemeal.com and my new upcoming website at studiowhitewolf.com. All right, Studio White Wolf. And you can get me at Kente F on Twitter, Kente Ferguson. On Instagram and of course indyradio.org is the website indyradio.org. So we will be back with an all new episode.